Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Rex Ike's Movie Beat Conversations with Filmmakers, where we discuss everything film and television. Here on Movie Beat, you'll learn what to do and what not to do when it comes to making movies and TV. We will talk to everyone behind the scenes and in front of the camera, and I'll provide you with the guests and the information you're going to want to have, whether you're a filmmaker or a fan. And so now let's move behind the scenes here at Movie Beat. My guest today is Mr. James Breckenridge. James is a script consultant. He's worked with the entertainment industry for over 25 years. He founded the Players Play Crafters Group in 1995. He's its director, and he specializes in helping writers from all over the country develop producible scripts for motion pictures, television, and theater. And through creative consulting and objective feedback, he encourages writers to focus on the essential elements of their stories. We're going to be talking to Jim in just a moment. But first, I want to say, hey, you know, it's been a long time, and it's been a strange year for Rex Ike's Movie Beat and the shows. They've been kind of haphazard and here and there, and uh, and there was a reason for that. So let me briefly explain. My website had been hijacked in uh, 2014. It took us from October until February to reinstate the website, and um, and we we're under construction with the website uh right now so there's a there's com, where all of the interviews uh discussions are stored and um archived and then there is also uh rexikesmoviebeat.me rexikesmoviebeat.me yes there's a little bit of humor in that one rexikesmoviebeat.me is a blog and uh the blog is a, a scrolling page and, for example, if you go there right now, the front page will have James Breckenridge uh, upcoming uh, listen live, that kind of thing. So um, I'm still in the process of constructing the website and getting the new one launched. have no idea when that's going to happen. It's, it's, there's just millions and millions of, of files uh, that need to be uh, pushed over from the old site. So that's why... Um, I have not concentrated on guests. My movie-making schedules and, and stuff have precluded me from doing shows regularly. But hopefully 2016 will be much more regularly on track and be providing you the quality professional filmmakers as we're doing today, uh, but on a more regular basis in 2016. Keep in mind, there's over 500 hours of professional filmmakers, writers, directors, producers, consultants, publicists, agents, managers, casting directors, and more sharing their expertise with you. So be sure to go to RexSykes.com and listen to the archive shows and join us live. You'll also help us spread the word in social media and tweet about it right now. If you're listening live, invite somebody else to listen. I'm going to bring Jim on, and we're going to start talking about how you can tell better stories and be a better script writer. Jim, are you there? Yes, sir, I am. Good to hear your voice again. It's good to hear yours as well. And by the way, I didn't tell you, but if you should get cut off or if the phone call drops, please just dial right back in. 
And while you're dialing in, I'll try and cover for it. But uh, <laughs> hopefully that won't happen. You never know. So, uh, Jim, how, how are you today, and, and where are you today? Well, pretty good. I'm uh, actually out east now. I've been doing quite a bit of traveling. Um, I just got back from Vegas, but that's a kind of a different story, both on uh, a little R&R, a little work and pleasure out there. <laughs> uh, but I'm actually located uh, right now. The house is in uh, Bucks County in Pennsylvania, but I still have an apartment up in New, in New York City. Wow, cool, cool. And New York is one of my, well, it's my second favorite city in the world. So, uh, awesome. Well, let's uh, let's just dive right in. Let's let's talk a little bit first about you, your past training, and how you got into to this arena, and and in terms of writing and storytelling, and then how you branched into uh, working with writers. So, uh, give us a little history first. Sure. Um, although I am uh, located out east now, um, I spent, I suppose one could say, uh, my formative years uh, actually in Wisconsin. In fact, my mom still lives in Appleton. Wow. And uh, I went to uh, attended the University of Wisconsin Stevens Point. And uh, then from there, uh, transferred over to uh, Temple University for a Master of Fine Arts. And at the time, uh, and people may not know this, but at the time, Temple University was part of the uh, League of Professional Theater Training Programs, which included the likes of uh, Brandeis, Yale, Juilliard. So it was a rather exclusive <coughs> uh, bunch of schools back then. And uh, then from uh, Philadelphia, I moved to New York and uh, did a lot of stage work and commercials and industrial films uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, uh, the, the, the importance of that for me, at least, was that as an actor, uh, you come to understand the importance of making sure that something dramatically happens in every scene, you know, whether that be emotionally or psychologically or physically. And in the best case, certainly all three. And in fact, many of the writers I've spoken with or have uh, had conversations with felt that acting was one of their better preparations to have. Um, Quentin Tarantino took acting classes, uh, Peter Eiliff, uh Robert McKee, Sid Field, uh, Ted Talley, <clears throat> all acted from time to time uh, and uh, went on to uh, write and teach. Uh, Mark Rydell and Sidney Pollack both became directors after their acting experience, um, it sort of it sort of reminds me of uh, that old story from uh, Godfather Two. Uh, you might remember this. Uh, Michael has now become the Godfather, and his uh, brother Sonny's daughter is now grown up and uh, has come to ask uh, Michael for his blessing on her wedding plans. And she brings uh, her fiancé with her, and Michael sits for a moment studying the young man. And finally, Michael asks him if he's uh, gone to college. And the young man replies that, yes, he has. And Michael nods his approval, asking him what he studied. And the young man says that he majored in fine arts. And after a long, awkward silence, Michael does give his consent 
and as the happy couple now leave the room, Michael places his arm around his future nephew, advising him to seriously, seriously consider a degree in business administration. And I thought thought that was great. Uh Uh, Just a wonderful thing. But um, acting is a very, very... uh, a very important thing, and it's not a matter of whether you become a good actor or you stay with it as long as I did, um, but did you understand the process? Because they say, you know, you're writing for yourself and you're writing for your audience, but you're also writing for the actor. And so it's really important to understand what's possible and, and what isn't possible uh, for an actor to do. Uh, in fact, um, during my classes and client consultations, I usually uh, provide them with a suggested reading list. And uh, sometimes that can be uh, problematical, too. I have specialized in doing reports and evaluations primarily and also teaching, and we can get into that uh, a little later on. Um, But I'm amazed at the people who will say, oh, I've read that book. Oh, yeah, I've I've read that one, too. And then when you read their screenplay, nothing has permeated through them to the screenplay. Um, And that's why I always go back and uh, emphasize the essentials of writing. Uh, I I kind of equate it to uh, uh, sports in a way. Uh, For example, if a a receiver uh, starts missing and not catching the ball, he doesn't say to the coach, hey, coach, you don't understand. I'm uh, trying something new here. No, the coach says, get your butt back, come an hour early, stay an hour late, until you run those plays exactly the way we, we had them all designed. So um, that's what I find out in writing, because uh, you write and you forget, and then you learn. And it's always a, a step forward and a half a step back. And uh, it's amazing what you uh, think you know, but really don't. And that's been one of the great things um, for me uh, in putting classes together is because you take so much for granted if you've worked long enough, but to try to explain that to other people in terms that they can understand really causes you to think very, very carefully and review some of the fundamentals that now you take for, for granted. And so that's been, uh, you've probably heard what the old, uh, the old saying, the uh, teacher teaches the student, the student teaches the teacher. That's yeah. been my experience through, uh, through this whole process here. Well, you are a man after my own heart. I mean, you tr- truly are. And I, and I heard you speak at, a, at the Wyoming Film Festival. I thoroughly enjoyed uh, every moment of it. Um, well, my background is I'm an actor, I'm a filmmaker, a storyteller, I'm not as much of a writer, script writer, but, but uh, direct and produce. But I've always felt, and I've had these discussions with many people, that you're going to be a better director, you're going to be a better storyteller, you'll be a better writer, you'll be a better anything. You'll be a better grip if you have taken some acting. Um, because there's a part of understanding the process. It's the same would be true that I think a writer, uh, an actor would be better off if they spent some time writing to understand the disciplines. It's that walk a mile in each other's shoes that that, that helps. But um, 
I recently had a discussion with a director friend of mine uh, for my university class, and he said, well, I mean, you know, look at um, Christopher Nolan. I don't think he's an actor or took acting lessons. He's a pretty good director. And I said, well, yeah, okay, you know, I'll, I'll change my my notion uh, with in regards to that uh, based on that there are always, you know, there are always going to be counterexamples or exceptions to every rule. And sure. there are most directors who might be excellent directors and, you know, who've never walked into an acting class. But uh, I still maintain um, that acting, uh, the process of acting and, and conveying stories helps writers. The other thing is I, I use sports metaphors too. Um, and I think yours is just so apt and it is so, it is so true and to the point. And then the other thing is, is that I'm going to make two more points and then I'm going to stop. But the other thing <laughs> is that most people don't spend enough time with the basics. If they learn to master the basics of anything, they can excel. But too often people want to try and experiment. They want to break the rules. They don't know the rules. They haven't embraced the rules. They haven't mastered the rules or the basics before they try and be creative or do something novel. And and uh, I'm a firm believer if you've mastered the basics, if you look at for example, Tiger Woods, when he's out ready to play golf, he's not out doing the most fancy swings. He's putting. He's doing simple, basic things to to, to set his mind and his his uh, his mindset and his skill base together for when he's playing the game. He, you know, he, he's not trying trick shots. So right. <laughs> the basics are are where it's at. And then lastly, people read books, but they don't study books. They read them like they read a novel, and then they're done with it, and they think they've learned something from it. The way I'm convinced the way you learn from a book is to read, read the same chapter every day for a month, and then go to the next chapter every day for a month. I mean, you know, or for a week, whatever, whatever you you tolerate. But you got to go back and you got to revisit again and again the concepts, and and wire those in because you miss so much in in one reading that you you find a little bit more in the next, a little bit more in the next, and a little bit more in the next. So most people will say, well, I read that book, and so now I practice those principles, but they don't. So I think you are, I mean, now I've given my, you know, long spiel here, but I think you are so on target with everything that you said that, that I, you know, I wanted to chime in, you know, and support that, because I, I do, uh, it's, it's it's amazing. Yeah, I, I so embrace everything you you said at the, then and, and today, so continue, please. <laughs> Well, I, I appreciate that. And by the way, when I got into it, um, I guess to kind of take a few steps back, uh, I was acting in New York, but I was uh, also a part of several script development groups. And <clears throat> one of the reasons I started to kind of move into the work I am now um, is because I saw scripts come back every three, four months, every six months. And things were changed, but not in a, a, a substantive way. And I just asked myself a very basic question, why, why was that? And I realized that the problem with those workshops and most of the other ones out there that I'm aware of, there's no set of criteria. So what happens in, yeah. in, in the presentation is you turn the group of people who are listening to the reading into an audience. And that's already putting the cart before the horse because you don't need an audience then. You need a group of peers that are looking for the basic fundamentals of your script and whether or not that's working for you. 
And then the harder part is even if you can identify that, what are, are perhaps some of the ways or some of the things that writer should look at to further develop that area and make that script as good as it should be. Um, and again, when I started doing this, I took myself right back to essentially what I did in college. I would read a book, I would underline it, and at the end of every chapter I would ask myself, okay, what do you remember? What are you taking away from this? And usually I'd miss 50%, maybe 75% of that chapter. So then I would go back and reread uh, and look at those uh, sections of the book that I had underlined until I could I could learn more. And then I would go on to the next chapter and repeat the process. And then when I was finished, I took all of those underlines and I typed them out. So I took, uh, let's say, a 150-page book and put it down to maybe three or four pages. That's excellent. Of some of the most important things. So it was always a matter of reinforcing. And the other thing that's really interesting, because as human beings we develop and we change in, in ways that we're not even aware of, uh, and we forget so much. If you go back to a book that you, you thought you understood fairly well, but haven't looked at in three, four, five years and go back and read it, I can pretty much guarantee you'll find something new in that book. And it's either because you have uh, better ears now to accept it. Um, one of the things I suggest people to do is not only read a variety of books, and I guess I'm kind of segueing into that now, um, but to take as many uh, 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 seminars and uh, experiences like that to meet people that are out there. Um, because it's always a, a, a process of learning, forgetting, learning, forgetting, learning, forgetting. And when you get to a point where you can start to begin to complete the sentences of these people you're watching, then you you have to know that you've got a pretty good grasp on that. And then you still have to be able to apply it to your own writing. Um, but that's a wonderful thing here. Let me, um, just something for nothing, and if, if people uh, write me and I can provide some contact uh, information a little later on, uh, if it's all right, let me just review a, a few of the books that I suggest people to uh, to study. Oh, please. Um, they are uh, alphabetical. They're not necessarily in the way that I would begin reading them. Uh, but one uh, is Adventures in the Screen Trade by William Goldman. Uh, I've, I've seen him speak uh, maybe three or four times in L.A. Uh, just a terrific guy. You know him from All the President's Men, uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, uh, The Princess Bride, um, it, among many, many, many others. Um, Aristotle's Poetics by Aristotle himself. Um, yes, he's working in a little different form, but the basics are all there and haven't changed over thousands of years. There's a basic book called The Art of Dramatic Writing by Lajos Egri. And that, again, is very basic, but again, uh, it's, it's uh, in many cases, the same information uh, told from a different perspective. There's, there's a great book by David Ball called Backwards and Forwards. And what he suggests is that once you've written your, your script, <clears throat> is to, and he's talking about play scripts, and I, I work with the theater writers as well, 
to go back from the very last scene and see what precedes it and then see what precedes that. So you walk backwards in the script to make sure that everything holds together logically and dramatically because all of us, I think, get snowblind when you end up working with the script for several months or several years trying to to bang it out and you don't see you don't even see the spelling mistakes anymore um so that's a it's a wonderful way to uh do for yourself before going to somebody like myself to take a look at your script uh there's a great book by Thomas Pope called Good Scripts Bad Scripts and he reviews several uh film movies and tells why in his opinion uh they work and why they don't work uh, there's the the seminal uh, Joseph Campbell, the hero with a thousand faces, and it was actually from those writings and teachings that Christopher Vogler uh, wrote the Writer's Journey, which is which is a great uh, companion piece to that. He talks about archetypes and heroes and antiheroes and and the whole journey taken by your central character, uh, Linda Seeger. Making a good script great, very clear, very precise. Um, and again, you, you understand that many of these people are talking about the same things, but they use a little different vocabulary, they have a little different perspective. Some are older, some are younger, but they all reinforce the basic elementals. Um, David Mamet wrote a book on directing film. Very, very interesting. We were talking before about how different disciplines are really. Um, people involved on, let's say, different mountaintops, but all there to tell that one story. They're all storytellers. The costumer is a storyteller. The makeup artist is a storyteller. The set designer is a storyteller. All to reinforce um, the director's vision and the writer's vision. Absolutely. Um, there's the um, the very basic book, uh, somewhat maligned, but I believe absolutely unfairly, called Screenplay, The Foundations of Screenwriting by Sid Field. And people were trying to say, well, he's he's uh, setting up page counts. So Sid says you have to have your first act at 30 pages and that your second act is running only 60 pages and then your third act is only 20 pages, something like that. But he never does that. He suggests uh, um, a range when substantial changes tend to happen in most of the movies he's uh, uh, seen and in most of the scripts he's read. And he's read hundreds, if not thousands and thousands, over the years. In fact, some people have been so afraid of even mentioning page counts. Uh, it's um, uh, Michael, uh, Michael Haig, I believe. Uh, who talks about uh, percentages, <laughs> rough percentages of your screenplay? But it's all the, it's all roughly the same because storytelling is pretty much the same. Uh, are there anomalies? Absolutely. Uh, there's memento, uh, telling the story backwards, but that's already been done. So you probably don't want to try a story like that for another ten or twenty years. Um, there's. Uh, Oh, what else? Well, there's a, there's Pulp Fiction, of course. But as I understand it, Tarantino wrote uh, Pulp Fiction in a linear way. And it was only after he wrote it out, he had this idea of kind of a concurrent time and started to move the pieces around. 
But if you see each of those three or four stories, they all travel from point A to point Z. Uh, very interesting film to uh, to uh, study. And uh, last but certainly not least, uh, because I think you had mentioned formatting before, which is vitally important. Um, proper formatting is important because screenplays are designed primarily to be read by professionals, and they're looking for certain things there to be there all the time. Otherwise, it stops the read, it breaks their con- uh, concentration, makes them feel like they're dealing with an amateur. And so I suggest to almost everybody um, The Screenwriter's Bible by David Trottier, a uh, complete guide to writing, formatting, and selling your script. And it's a, a terrific book just for screenwriting, but it's also the most easily referenced book out there for formatting. Um, so I, I, I use that myself in, in doing evaluations. And again, I'm, I'm a great promoter of that particular book. So th- those are just a, a handful or two uh, of the ones that... I didn't mean to interrupt you. I'm sorry. Nope. I think those are excellent choices, and and for a wide variety of reasons. And and um, in your practice of going through and reading books and underlining and then typing, you know, things out and condensing it and putting or putting it in your own words or even mm-hmm. even the exact words is, is an incredible way to learn and to you know Im- imbibe what it is that you're you, you're attempting to discover from the work. So that's. One, I applaud that that's awesome. And two, I think the book choice is, is great. Um, I would add um, something from when we were talking about, you know, because I love it, you know, that the everybody in a movie set are part of the storytellers in different ways. Um, I, I think one of the things that we, what people, I, I know you can embrace, you embrace this, but what people miss is that they don't tell verbal stories like they used to you know we, we're so distracted nowadays by everything when in the old days you would sit around a campfire you sit around the living room and you would tell stories and, and engage and engross people with with um, happenings whether they were true or fictitious one of the things that that I think good storytellers do is is one you know they paint word pictures and they they enliven it with sounds and gestures. I mean, they're animated when they talk and they they quiet their voice at the right time and they exaggerate their voice. You know, they do they do they they live the story, but they do something else. And that typically, I would imagine, is that they watch their audience and they and they pay attention because you know some people can go on and on and on forever and drag something out and it would become boring. And you can see your audience going, okay, get to the point, get to the point, get to the point. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, we, you know, where are we going? We're, you know, and then other people going, well, well that's too brief, that's too brief. Tell, you know, tell us more, tell us more. And for the writer, the Sid Fields, what you talked about, Fid, and, and, and the approximations, I don't think there's anything wrong with having an approximate count or an approximate percentage of knowing when to do things, um, especially since... Most of our movies are pretty formic. They're within a certain time frame. They're within ninety minutes or two hours, or right. you know something like. That. So it makes sense that you you want to be able to do certain things and capture certain things and or hit certain beats. I, I don't have any problem with that. I I think I think it makes perfect sense since the writer when they're writing on their computer in a in a room or a coffee shop somewhere, they don't have the luxury of of telling it to the reader. 
and having the reader go, yeah, 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 get to the point. Right. Yeah. So, I, I, sure, I'm absolutely I'm on, on board with that. Uh, yeah, absolutely, uh, completely, thoroughly. Um, I had some thought in my brain, but it left, but that's okay. It'll come back. It will. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, to, to take this um, up a notch, and perhaps to help reinforce the idea of uh, certainly how uh, valuable I thought my acting experience was. And by the way, I still have all all my union cards. They were hard fought, so I'm not going to give those guys up. Um, but uh, there's another book <clears throat> that's actually written by an actor, acting teacher, by the name of Michael Shirtliff. Sure. And, and the name of the book is Audition. And I would suggest, again, every interested uh, screenwriter, theatrician, to get a hold of that book because he talks about a number of elements that uh, to look for as an actor, and therefore those same elements ought to be available in the script for the actor to mine. Um, one of the things is relationship. What's my relationship with the other character in the scene? You know, how do I feel you know, about that person now. Good, bad, hopefully not indifferent. You know, something that's, that's actable uh, and that's relatable uh, to an audience. Um, it's it's the old thing, <clears throat> which is why I think acting and the arts are so much related to life, because they all seek to answer the basic questions. Who am I? Where am I? What am I doing? Where am I going? Who or what stands in my way? What am I willing to risk to accomplish my goal? All of those things, which goes to the idea of conflict. You know, what are you fighting for? What do you desire and dream about more than anything else? And it needs to be strong enough and able to motivate that character under those given circumstances. Um, Shirtliff talks about the moment before that every scene begins in the middle. And that's one of the advices for writers. Uh, get into your, start your scene late and get out early. That same kind of uh, uh, lesson there for actors and writers at the same time. Um, look for humor. You know, even in the most, almost, the most uh, um, tragic of films, uh, except perhaps 12 Years a Slave, there's uh -huh. almost always uh, humor there. And we're not talking about jokes or, or being funny or gags, but it's more or less kind of an attitude towards towards life. Um, it, it's it's probably the uh, uh, the Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid when they're trapped on a on a uh, a cliff and can either go up and get killed or take a risk and uh, and jump. And uh, I think it's Sundance says, uh, or Butch says to Sundance, what's the trouble? And he says, I can't swim. <laughs> and right. Butch says, are, are you kidding? The fall will probably kill you. Right. So, I mean, it grows out of the situation. Um, and then the idea of opposites, too. You know, whatever you decide your motivation is in the scene, the opposite is also possibly true. And so you ought to kind of find out what that opposite is. 
Um, well, that, what that's do you very fascinating. Can you can you elaborate more? Uh, uh, or well, often I think the opposites go go back to your external motivation as opposed to the internal motivation. And most of us just see the mask. They see the persona in life. Mm-hmm. But the great thing about art is the revelation. And usually those revelations are kept towards the end of the story uh-huh. uh, or are revealed very, very, very gradually to us. So if I'm, let's say, uh, let's say I'm a, I'm a badass and I rob banks. Well, maybe deep in my past it's because uh my father was uh fired from a job committed suicide and the family was left destitute so it's that whole idea of what's driving people so you say oh i can okay i understand gee that's really too bad for him but i don't understand why he's inflicting harm on other people so that's kind of your uh, your opposite there. It's like um, life's uh, seemingly contradictory truths. Uh, uh, um, God could be one. If God's all-powerful and all-loving, how could he allow this world to happen? Right. Or, uh, or the Roman Colosseum, a magnificent piece uh, and mechanism there. But also at the expense of hundreds and hundreds of the most brutal murders that have ever taken place. Right. right. So how do you how do you how do you reconcile those two things? They're they're opposites. And again sure, go ahead. Well I was just gonna say it's like the rose with the thorns. It's it's <laughs> exactly <laughs> You know, it's 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 got that. Uh, let me. Uh, I, 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 I just going to piggyback on it with a personal story. I was held up one time, you oh, know, gun to my head kind of thing, and and it became a conversation. Uh, the tides changed, and, and and it didn't work out the way the robbers thought it was going to work out. But but in but in talking about it, because well, I picked up some hitchhikers who put a put a gun to my head, and I managed to get the gun away from them. And then I asked them why they were doing what they were doing, and. Uh, and they were like, well, you, you know, we're sorry, but we were held up and we were desperate. We had nothing, you know, and this was the only way we knew to get something back. And wow. it was that it was interesting because at that moment, you know, I actually believed them. I mean, it was it was they were doing a despicable, horrible act. They did, they did it to me. Right. But at that moment, they were saying, you know, this is this, this isn't who we are. Who we are is something else. But but. We had been robbed. We had no money. We needed, and I and I, I only bring that up because for some reason I I was thinking of the op when you said the opposite is contained in something, that here was just vile act, but at the same time or Le Jean Valjean, you know, or stealing for your daughter, you know, or something. You, you I love this. I mean, I think this is great what you're what you're pointing out. Yeah, Dara Marks, <clears throat> who teaches uh, screenwriting, uh, and I believe is a psychologist. Um, talks about the fatal flaw. And a fatal flaw is, um, let's see if I can make recreate this, is a self-defensive mechanism that has outlived its usefulness. So uh, one example would be thriftiness. Nothing wrong with that. 
Mm-hmm. But if you take it to the extent of stinginess, then that's something. That's something else. Uh, and there are dozens and dozens of dozens, dozens of examples like that. And and that creates an opposite, too. And sometimes, by the way, if these things aren't apparent in the script, a good actor will make something up. Well, you know, I mean, you're right. And, and, but, I mean, so many things come to mind when you mention that because, for example, you know, the humor, like you said, Butch Cassidy's and his kid, they're, they're, they're at a very desperate moment, and yet there's humor. And you find that sometimes in horror movies. Or Thelma and Louise, for example, you know, a lot of moments where things aren't working out, but there's... They're not making a joke, like you say. They're, they're just, and I think I think there's something about gravitating to those people and those characters, um, and maybe that's why we like John McClane's and and stuff like that. Is that somehow, when there's a horrible moment going on, they say some line or they have a particular look or a way of being that says, "Wow, you know, it, it could really suck," <laughs> <laughs> you know. Or you think your God is tough. I mean, there's there's a lightness. And that happens in real life. And, you know, so if everything is just one note of down and depressed and struggle, I, you know, the idea that there's an opposite contained in that could be could be very powerful. Yeah. I mean, I remember, uh, oh, uh, what is it, uh, Leaving Las Vegas, uh-huh. when, another one of the most depressing films I've ever seen, where a man yeah. decides to go to Las Vegas to drink himself to death. Um, and there are a couple funny moments, but it's not ha 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 ho ho ho. It's just kind of a you know an ironic, kind of whimsical sort of thing. But again, it grows out of the situation, and and that's really important for for writers, I think, to always say where's the humor in in this uh, in this story. Um, you're not writing comedy, but you know there's that whole thing of. Uh, uh, was it? Um, um, was I can't think of the word now. Uh, kind of a dark comedy, sort yeah. of thing, uh, a graveyard humor, that uh-huh. that sort of thing, which is funny, but it's so real it hurts, kind of thing. Um, all all of those things are are really really important, and that's why I was so amazed that really this book on auditioning, right, by Michael Shirtliff, to me speaks so much to the writer. And finally, he says um, about um, to, to understand that communication between characters is the desire to change the person you're speaking to. So it's always a competition there. And if you can think about that in your writing, it's not just passing information along. It's about uh, creating drama. And one way to do that is uh, through this idea of competition in dialogue. Uh, not conflict, necessarily, but you're there in that scene to change that other person, to change them in some way. And again, that might be the actor's you know, secret sure. uh, that they have. Uh, little mysteries. I think some of the most intriguing characters are the uh, characters that we just maybe not fully developed, but we're absolutely intrigued, not by what we know, but what, what we don't know about those characters. What's, what's really cool about what you're, what you're bringing, to, uh, bringing to this with the shirtlift material is the fact that if an actor could create it in the character in front of the camera or on stage, 
the writer can create it as well in the characters prior to the actor reading them. I mean, it, it, you know, you, you, you address the fact that you can write more interesting people, more interesting characters, and, and create more interesting situations if you understand some of these motivations or, or you know, the idea that, hey, we're talking to try and change someone. Right, then right. Then you're not just talking, you know what I mean? Then you're not just skewing dialogue. You have an intent behind it or a motivation behind it or a subtext behind it. You know what I mean? In other words, it, it, it becomes a great way of framing, I think, how you think about I I love it. I, I love the fact that you've, you've applied shirtlift to writing. Yeah, I mean, I again, I read a lot of books when I was uh was uh was more actively acting. Uh-huh. Uh, and that's a book I didn't discover until after I was out of my formal training. Um but I just love that. And I studied that, you know, I studied that book too and took notes. Um and in fact, uh applied a lot of those principles uh years ago when I offered an audition course because I just think they're they're very very important. And when you have a scene or or a monologue, those are the very same kind of elements that you ought to look for, and and will help you, will will help you sell the scene and create believability in your performance. Awesome. Hey, um, Jim, we're going to have to take a break right now. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to be sure to have you put out your contact information so people can reach you if they have questions or email you and 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 find out about all the things that you offer. So. Um, let's do that, and then I'm going to take a short break. All right. So I should hop in now? Yes, please. <laughs> sure. Well, uh, the name of my business is the Play Crafters Group, and uh, our email is HB, as in Breckenridge, Craft. All written as one word, HBCraft, at att.net. And you can find out more about our services and classes by going to www.playcraftersgroup.com. That's awesome. Playcraftersgroup.com. It's James Breckenridge. And uh, we're going to be back in just a second with you, Jim, and uh, and continue a very fascinating, very fascinating discussion about how you be a better storyteller and a better script writer. And, and, and Jim is a lot more for us. So stick with us. And... Um, while we take this break, you might invite others to listen to us now live or archived. You can use the very same link to listen archived 24-7 as you use to listen live. The official web address is rexsykes.com. That's my name, R-E-X-S-I-K-E-S.com, as well as rexsykesmoviebeat.me. Rexsykesmoviebeat.me is obviously one word, dot me. All right, so uh, over 500 hours of professional uh filmmakers and content providers uh, sharing their expertise, their secrets, their tips, their advice for you are, are archived at com. You can also get it at blogtalkradio.com. You can also get it as a podcast from the iTunes store. All of it's free and available for you so that you can be a better filmmaker, storyteller, actor, whatever it is that you desire so you can advance your career and, and complete your projects. All we ask in return is that you share it with other people. Get on Facebook, social media, Twitter, Instagram, you know, you name it, and spread the word. Tweet about it. If you're listening live, tweet live. If you listen archive, tweet about it. Say, hey, I just listen to this great show with James Breckenridge and Rex Sykes talking about screenwriting and provide a link. 
That way other people who don't yet know about the show can learn about the show, and that way you help extend our reach. All right, I got a lot of great more guests coming up in the near future. I'm not going to tell you about those, and I'm not going to tell you when the next show is. Typically, we're Thursday mornings around the same time frame, uh, which is the 9 a.m., 10 a.m. Central Time. That's 7 a.m., 8 a.m. Pacific Time or 10 a.m., 11 a.m. Eastern Time. But that'll all straighten out again as we go into 2016. So stay tuned, follow us, and uh, on Twitter, Rex Ikes Movie Beat, and the last word is BT, Rex Ikes Movie BT at Twitter, and uh, and 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 stay in touch. All right, we're going to go back with uh, Mr. James Breckenridge and continue this discussion. Um, I wanted to ask you a question, Jim, sure. in the, and I think it might be a worthwhile pursuit. I mean, historically, because I, I don't know the answer to this, but but I'm a huge, I grew up watching old movies and a huge fan of of uh, studio pictures from the early days on. Um, and those studio pictures were very formulaic, and you had serials like Charlie Chan serials or mm-hmm. you know, detective mysteries or horror serials or whatever. But the studios had a certain formula for a lot of movies, even even in some of the classics they would have someone who is known to be comic relief uh they called it the comic relief or they would have in a movie okay here's the comic or they would have the the stereotypical character actor come in like you know in a boxing match there would be the guy who always plays the drunken person and you would see the same character again and again in movie and movies and i don't know who began this process if it was if it was endemic to one studio versus a bunch of different studios. i've never i've never thought about it that way before but but now in, in terms of talking with you we know that you can't keep somebody i mean it's very difficult to keep somebody stressed for 90 minutes or depressed for 90 minutes that it doesn't it doesn't usually serve it can you know but it doesn't usually serve us and um and we don't necessarily have the formula down the way they did in the studios because we've gone into independent filmmaking and things have changed in, in many ways. But but that's but looking back at this, they always it seemed like it, it was like we don't want people to be too dramatic for ninety minutes, so we're going to throw in some things to lighten it up. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. And and by the way, there's nothing really new in that. Uh, Shakespeare was very good at that. Yeah. Right. Uh, and Hamlet in Macbeth, which is pretty dark. Um, right. There's always that kind of, you know, comic, that comic character, that clown. Um, and I, I'm kind of thinking, now that you're talking about the older Hollywood films, if a lot of those comic characters were really kind of a a holdover and relatable to those audiences because in some ways they were kind of a, a vaudeville uh, kind of I type. Have- there and I I don't know if that's true or not, but uh, you know one form uh, influences right. another, and that might be a carryover from that. Yeah, that's interesting. That's an interesting notion. I I'm sure somebody could research it, but, but I I just think it's I think it's interesting that and, and and as you so rightly point out, you know, in, in works of Shakespeare and in, in earlier in, in earlier works, humor has been. You know, a, a, a piece of it, or or an important piece of it. Um, so I, I I just find this very fascinating. So um, I, let me 
you may be wanting to go somewhere, and I want you to go there. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to subvert your thinking process. But I. I also want to ask the question um, that you can consider and then answer at your leisure. And that are what are some of the problems you see with the screenplays that you reviewed, or or that writers kind of typically have that can be addressed or, or corrected? And yeah, there are probably uh, uh, a number. One of them may seem to be the most basic which is a lot of screenwriters don't know what their story is about. And I think that's because the story changes after draft after draft and in the creation process to even the point that the uh, the writer can't see the forest before the trees. And part of that, I think, is not having begun with a viable dramatic premise. Um, you can think of a premise as simply a, a kind of thesis whose proof lies in the in the uh, telling of the tale. Uh, in other words, the premise is your thesis, your story is its proof. Uh, I mentioned William Goldman uh-huh. earlier, and uh, he said that before he starts to write a screenplay, he asks himself several questions. And the first question is, what is my story about? What is my story about? And the second question he asks himself is, what is my story really about? And what he's trying to do here is really define his premise. And when he's got it, he writes it out and tapes this premise above his computer to help him stay on course. And when your story changes, and it more than likely will in many ways, and if you agree with those changes, then it's incumbent upon you to change the premise, to take that down off the walls, because that's no longer the compass for your story or where your story is headed now. And every time you try to fulfill that premise within the bounds of the new story you've created, you'll just end up pulling the whole fabric apart. And some people say, well, geez, if I, if I have the premise, then I can't change it. Of course you can. Of course you can. Um, you just remember that you're you're a god of this world you're creating. You can take characters out. You can combine characters. You can create new characters as long as it fulfills a specific goal. Because if you start just writing uh, based on a feeling or an idea, you'll mostly never get anywhere. Um, it might be fun to write dialogue and anything, but you won't write of anything that's any... Uh, substantive uh, work that actually could be turned into a, uh, a movie at all. Uh, you know, some people say, "Well, you know, how do I how do how do I formulate a premise?" Now, realize this is usually something that's been percolating in your head for maybe months or years. Um, and so, one way I think is just to ask yourself, "Well, what is the story I want to tell about?" What is it that interests me in that situation? What issues do I want to explore? Um, a very concise premise, uh, if you phrase it as a statement, could be something like undying love conquers death. Undying love conquers death. Now, that could be very well serve uh, as the premise for the play Romeo and Juliet. Love would be the subject of the story. Conquers suggests some kind of a, a warlike conflict and death being the end, if not 
the necessary meaning of the story. And early on, the the results are going to be really difficult to quantify because your story is still working itself out. And it's also important to realize that, that these premises are should be important to you and to your vision. And they're not necessarily exclusive to your story. For example, Undying Love Conquers Death could very well serve as the premise for the film The Mummy. Right. So it all, all depends on the genre of the piece and the author's own personal vision that makes all the difference. Absolutely. I got a couple questions about that. Um, and I don't know if I should fire them all off, but one is, do you use premise or theme or spine um, interchangeably, or are those separate they're not, they're separate ideas or words that uh, that writers use? Yeah, and I, it can get uh, confusing out there because uh, a lot of writers, when they uh, or, or teachers, when they come out with a new book, often change the vocabulary on people, and so it, it can get kind of confusing out there uh, if you don't uh, understand the uh, uh, really the basic essentials of what they're going for. Um, theme for me uh, reinforces the premise, a- and the spine. To me, uh, is essentially the the tree trunk that you hang all the branches uh, of the story on. Um, it's just like uh, in acting, uh, an actor has a uh, super objective. Maybe that's to win the race or or win the girl, something like that. But he also has a number of different actions that either take him closer to or further away from that goal. And all of those ought to be uh, an expression of the premise, which is only the writer's business. You don't have to tell anybody what your premise is. Uh, And you probably shouldn't because no one will really understand it. Uh, And it's not there for you to explain uh, what your premise is to other people. It's to show them in your story. And ideally... Since films and screenplays are all about how they end, if they end uh, happily, it's generally referred to as a comedy. If somebody dies, it sometimes can be considered a tragedy. Uh, If it's Braveheart, um, it kind of has an ironic ending. Uh, You're glad he was able to accomplish what he did, but he did so at great expense of his own life. Um kind of like, uh, which is a little different ending than Gandhi uh, being assassinated at the end, after all he was able to uh, accomplish. Um, But a theme is something that should be uh, completely running through the story, and it either can be carried through dialogue, but also hopefully visually, uh, you know, secret visual cues in a way. And hopefully the director's on board with the uh, writer, and that they see the script in the same way uh, may not happen, and that's certainly been <laughs> true for a lot of writers. Right. Um, there's a, uh, a very famous writer of the th- 30s and 40s named Francis Marion, and at one point was the highest-paid screenwriter in Hollywood, woman Francis Marion, and she said, uh, "Screenplay writing is like writing on the sand." with the wind blowing. 
and I can't think of a better uh, description of what it would be to uh, work in Hollywood, because everyone has their own, uh, you know, their own two cents to throw in. Um, I also wanted to just bring up uh, one other thing I thought about. We were talking about characters and character development. I think that's one of the reasons that a lot of writers now are attracted to television, because now they get a chance to really explore a character, um, not just in a two-hour story, but over the course of a season or several seasons. And I think that's very attractive to people. And if you've watched any of the series, you'll often see a character uh, be a good guy and then become a bad guy when they have to. Uh, Everything changes. And the stakes are always upped. Uh, I can't think of a character that's gone through more hell than uh, uh, Mr. White in Breaking Bad. Well, yeah, um, true. What they put him through week week after week, and it's not only his own uh, physical problems, um, but then his family often turns against him or gets in his way, or his brother-in-law, so uh, or or the big crime lords. Um, it's always, always, always a, a very interesting show to see what they, uh, what pressures they put upon him, uh, what they put on his shoulders, and h- how he gets through it, one way or the other, for better or worse. Um, so I, I just think that's part of the reason is why a lot of writers are attracted to television now, and and many people will say that some of the best writing is out there in television. I think you've got to uh, got to acknowledge that. I, I think you're absolutely correct, and I, and I know now that they, uh, the people want to broaden that even further and say that it's online digital content, not simply television. <laughs> it's, not <laughs> simply, it's not simply web series, but it's what's ever being, you know, because shows are being created now for Netflix and Hulu and stuff like that. It's no longer the domain of TV, but they are TV-like product as far as I'm concerned. Um, uh, but but. They differentiate it with different names. Um, yes, I, I, I heartily agree. I think television has totally grown up. And I think also one of the things that's interesting about that, and I, I think where, where, again, you're right on, is that the characters can evolve over time. Where in the, you know, in the 70s, if you watched Kojak or Hawaii Five-0, those characters pretty much stayed the same. They might have an, an up moment or a down moment in the, in the episodes, but the episodes were all self-contained. Right. Now, now they evolve. They have a whole character arc that evolves throughout the series, where you get to know the character better and watch the characters as they change. And and some start off horrible and turn out to be pretty good, and some start off good and turn out to be horrible. I mean, it's very different in TV, web, or internet land today. And it, it, it's an ex- I find it a thoroughly exciting time what they can do with the with story and characters and and um, but and it's a very different than forty years ago when you watched it, or even thirty years ago. I think. Right. And again, I, I will say that I think Twin Peaks was one of the things that kicked that off, and and your dynasties and your nighttime soap operas and stuff, where you know the the the, the, the evolving storylines and the evolving characters through time. Um, fascinating. I, I I had a question. I wanted to go back to the you know undying love conquers all. Um, about Romeo and Juliet, you could could you you could also say and and could you keep it the same or would it have to change if you said 
parents screw up their children? Oh, sure. It would it would really all depend on your point of view and the story that you wanted to tell. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I use that example because I could tie Romeo and Juliet into the mummy. <laughs> you know, I like it. I like it. But but what I mean, but, but yes, I, I, I get that. But uh, but I mean, in other words, undying love conquers all. Is is is, is this kind of romantic um, way of thinking about things? You know, and and maybe a truism in life. You know, and parents screwing up their children is probably a truism in life, and and one that we don't like as much. But I think, you know, kind of in both cases, you could look at the. Monacus and the Capulets is messing with their kids. <laughs> oh, and, yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, ab- absolutely. And but still I, probably one of the most popular uh, plays in all its incarnations and in film, too. So, But but I don't know that you end up with the same story is what I'm saying. You know, I mean, you know, uh, in other words, I'm trying to get at the, 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 the uh, you, you said it before. Some people start with an idea or somebody go, God, this would be a great scene. I imagine this. And then they try and build a screenplay around that one idea or around that scene, and it, it doesn't seem to. There's nothing there, but to choose a to choose a premise, a strong premise, whatever it may be, and then make sure that you know you have consistency in your theme running through it, and or if at some point it changes, that's okay. For example, in copywriting, technically they say write your headline first. Because writing the headline, if you say um, uh, uh, it organizes your thing, I don't have a good headline at the moment. I was going to say, you know, buy your gas here, you know, but I mean, or uh, cheap food at, at at such and such a store. I mean, you know exactly where you're headed when you when you write your headline first. So if you're writing ad copy for anything, you should always figure out what headline you want to hook the people and then put all of your writing around that hook as opposed to knowing kind of what you're trying to sell and then coming up with the headline afterwards because it gives you that focus for knowing what fits and what doesn't fits when you choose your headline first. Right. And and again, everyone works in a different way. Um, these ideas I've tossed out to you are just basic fundamental And a lot of the stuff is unconscious, you realize. So you can't teach that. Right. Um, And also, I'm 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 very 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 much a favor, especially of uh, beginning screenwriters to actually write a treatment. And I don't mean three, four, five, seven pages. I mean several pages to maybe forty pages or more. Uh And uh, the thing is, everybody knows how to write a short story. And if you can do that and get all of those ideas down on uh, paper out of your head, I believe you'll be f- far further along in the in the story writing development than you will if you just start to write dialogue and start with the screenplay. Um, that's a lot harder thing to do, re- realizing that most screenplays are 50% white space. And right. The treatment gives you an idea, uh, an ability to to shape the story and uh, decide for yourself, again, what's working, what's not, you know, and what if. Oh, what if he did this? What if that happened? Um, 
so I'm, I'm very much in favor of a treatment and then creating an outline from that. And a lot of people don't really seem to want to do all that work because that's not much fun. They want to jump in and write the screenplay, and that's probably because, or at least uh, lends itself to the fact that 75 80% of the screenplays out there are just unproducible. Well, excellent point. Excellent point. Well, the reason I bring up the headline first, you know, it's kind of like a log line or it's kind of like, I, yeah. I guess, premise is that, and what you started off by saying is know your story, you know, and golden, and really, really know your story. Um, and when you write a treat, when you write your treatment, um, now you've got your story. So you can go back and then craft your screenplay. I mean, it, it sure makes more sense to know what your story is before you start writing than to try and write your story as you go along. Yeah, I mean, Hitchcock, I think, uh, helped to prepare something like 80-page or more treatments, which is one of the reasons when it came to shooting, he was so tired and that was his least enjoyable part because he'd already worked everything out in advance. Um and again, certainly for the period of time, and he's still worth studying some of the greatest uh, filmmaking out there. Uh, but everybody's different. Everybody's different. But you have to start somewhere. And so that's why I've created these these classes, essentially, to give people an idea of what's involved. Well, um, let's talk a little bit about your classes. What what kind of services do you offer that, that writers can take advantage of and, and what, you know, so that they can learn to be better writers and storytellers? Well, um, I guess we could start with some of the classes. We offer uh, about four or five. Uh, realize I'm out here on the East Coast, which doesn't mean that I couldn't be enticed to come out somewhere and uh, and uh, bring these classes with me. The, the basic uh, class is called Screenwriting Essentials, and I've given uh, some of that material in seminars out in out in L.A., and it's just a, a, a class or a course uh, designed for from anybody from the beginning, screenwriter to someone who's maybe written three, four screenplays but hasn't been able to get anything done with them. And so we're going back to the, the basics. We're going to start with the story premise and the treatment and the step outlined, uh, creating a synopsis, uh, a story concept, dramatic structure, uh, character development. Uh, the whole idea behind building and turning scenes, um, how your plot supports the story, um, how character is developed primarily through cho choice and conflict. Those things, are they all may sound very basic, and you nod your head and you say, I know that, until you start creating a character. And then you realize you haven't provided any choices, and that's, therefore there's been very little conflict in there. And we look at a film. We look at one film inside class, that we pull apart on two different nights, or three different nights, uh, Act 1, Act 2, Act 3, that reinforces the previous training. And then uh, the class, I bring a newspaper and say, these are the dozen films that are playing in the area. Uh, you're going to have uh, an assignment to go out. And then I give them kind of a coverage report sheet based on what we've covered in class. And I have the, uh, the students uh, pick a film. So whatever film gets the most votes, they go out, and uh, that's about the only homework for this class. But a lot of people like that, too, because it gives them a chance to actually uh, put into uh, uh, to practice some of the things they've learned in the class. Um, 
we also have a, a, a class called First Steps, and the goal of that, that's actually a workshop, is to develop a 30-minute, 25, 30-minute film script. Um, uh, in other words, people will walk out with the first draft of a 30, 25-page script. And for that class, it's pretty intensive. Um, I team people up with one another so that they have someone to rely on dur- during the week. Um, I remain available throughout the week, too, for questions. So it gives them a chance to share the information. And again, uh, the screenplay in a shortened form, uh, 25, 30 minutes, is manageable enough to be able to do that in six or seven weeks. Um, So that's been a good class, uh, providing you've had something like screenwriting essentials uh, before that. Um, there's another class where we just talk about the first the first act, and we look at various film clips uh, of of first acts in all different genres, and uh, people come in and uh, provide us uh, with a uh, a uh, uh, um, uh, what can I say um, a sometimes it's a complete screenplay but it's definitely one that they have scoped out that has a beginning, middle, and end and that they can talk to us about in class. But this class, we're just going to concentrate on the first act, uh, believing, hopefully, that you'll be off to a better start if your first act works. Now, the second act creates a whole lot of other problems, but again, we're talking about something that's manageable that I don't have a whole semester to work with these people. However, it's 18 hours of instruction. And then uh, finally, we have a, a pitching course, which is rather unique uh, in that it takes place over two weekends. Uh, students, we set up a table. Uh, screenwriter comes up, pitches their story in three minutes. I have another couple of minutes to ask a few questions. Uh, that is taped. And then uh, we ask uh, the other members in the room uh, what's working for them, what isn't, did they understand it all? Uh, were they missing something? And then, that afternoon, uh, I take each individual writer with their own videotape, and we actually look at it so the writer can self-correct himself or herself. And then they get a chance to uh, take uh, those suggestions and work on it for the next week and present it a week later. And I don't know of any other class out there that's that thorough. Usually it's just uh, an afternoon somewhere. So we're very, very, very happy about um, that, too. So those are the basic ones. Um, and then my day job uh, is uh, involved in creating uh, uh, script overviews, uh, coverage reports, script evaluations. And those go from uh, a fairly basic uh, um overview of the screenplay um, uh, and always followed up with a uh, uh, whether there's a written report or not it's always followed up with a, a one-on-one session over the phone or in person if we can uh, and it goes all the way up to uh, uh, working with a program that features two uh, detailed uh, evaluations uh, within a six-month period so the writer uh, commits to six months, um, 
and we uh, create a, a two reports from them. They're anywhere from about 15 to 18 pages in length. Um, and the scripts are uh, returned uh, to the screenwriter, uh, highlighting formatting, uh, dialogue text, uh, character development, story structure, uh, uh, formatting, if I didn't mention that. So that's a lot more uh, thorough uh, service there. And so that's what I usually do behind my desk, but I'm really happy to get out and teach whenever I get the opportunity to. Um, because it gets, you know, the work of a, a writer is one of the loneliest pieces of, uh, of uh, vocations anyone can uh, can get into. So you you got to get out. Got to get out. Well. That in a in a solitary monk somewhere probably. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, I'm going to ask you an unfair question probably in a moment, but I want you to first to give out your contact information again so that the listener. Uh, in case they've joined us late or uh, has have written down the go ahead, it's uh, sure. Uh, uh, you can contact the Playcrafters Group, and you can write us through email at hbcraft at att dot net, or call us toll free at eight 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 three nine nine two five zero six, or drop into our website, which is simply. Playcrafters Group, all written as one word, playcraftersgroup.com. And it'll give you a, a little better idea and a little more detail of some of the uh, services and, and courses that we offer. Excellent. Excellent. So the unfair question is we've got about 10 minutes remaining. And in the 10 minutes, what I'd kind of like is if you could, uh, from from your vantage point in 25 years working with writers and reading screenplays and crafting, you know, helping them craft their stories, what are the components that make something readable and sellable? What what are if and that's why I say it's unfair. One is it's not a much time for you to be able to discuss it, but if you could do like bullet points of what what writers really need to know and do in order to make their screenplay a page turner, uh, so that it gets read. Well, one is to uh, from my my viewpoint is to really understand the importance of structure. Um, and to do that, not only from the start when you're creating, but use that knowledge of structure so you can go back and don't have to uh, call somebody like me who will charge you for his or her service um, so that you can be self, self-protective self there. And again, that goes back to what we uh, kind of begin with, with uh, reading, always study, um, a couple of years ago, I was out on uh, I was out in Las Vegas, and uh, for another uh, purpose, and uh, I got another email bump, which I had totally forgotten about, and because uh, I was just I was just running out of time and I had too much stuff on my mind, and there was a screenwriting uh, summit offered there, and it was rather pricey. Uh, the summit featured uh, Sid Field, who I believe it might have been his last or one of his last um, uh, presentations. Uh, Chris Vogler, who I mentioned uh, about the, uh, I think it was the writer's journey. Uh, Linda Seeger making a good script, great. Uh, Michael Haig and John Truby. And this was a uh, three-day or two-and-a-half-day 
series of seminars. And I ended up from there with 40 pages of notes. So I don't think I know it all, but I know um, a great deal about the work. And so uh, that's what I encourage uh, writers to do, is to always always keep learning. Learn from other people, too. Um, and there's so much available to you uh, through the Internet for, for nothing uh, that you should really avail yourself to that. And not just the blogs of people, uh, you know, uh, um, talking about their opinion. Um, that's a waste of time. It really is. It, it's fun. It has a purpose. But you're not going to learn very much from other people's opinions. Um, they're, they're a dime a dozen. You know, it's, you might as well ask me what, what the weather's like. You know, it's going <laughs> right. to change tomorrow. So, uh, and and the other thing is is to make sure, and this goes back to your other question about what are the problems uh, I see, and often, and that's why I began with with structure, how vitally important that is. And sometimes I thought I did fifteen twenty percent of my evaluations uh, focus in a lack of logic within the story. Things simply don't make sense within the uh, parameters of the story, uh, within the world that's uh, been created by the writer. And either things happen for no discernible reason at all, or characters take actions that are seemingly completely out of character for them. Um, Billy Wilder, who some of the people may know of, a great writer, director, uh, spoke about such things when he said, uh, you know, it's a curious thing what happens when you expose a picture to 1,500 people, each of whom is an idiot? Suddenly, all together, they become a genius and say whether you have a good picture or bad. So the first thing is a lack of logic. And it's a thing that most of us uh, notice right off, regardless of background or education. You don't need to go to film school to know that things simply don't make sense. And the second big thing is uh, no real dramatic engine, something that drives that story forward. Essentially, action, reaction, that creates a change that begs for another action, a reaction, and change. And essentially, that's the locomotive that ends up driving your story forward. And when this doesn't happen, uh, your story just loses steam. It stalls out, and you're going to lose your audience. And if you lose your audience, you never get them back. And that can happen by just having your your script read. It doesn't even need to be in, in the formation of a film at that point. Those things are uh, discernible uh, by people who uh, read scripts. And sometimes uh, there can be simply a lack of thinking big enough. So maybe your premise was really not really uh, potentially dramatic. In other words, of not giving your hero something big enough and worth fighting for and as well, your audience, something to identify with and have a stake in that achievement. Like we want him to win the girl. We want him to, uh, to win the race. We want him to stop drinking. All of those things. And they all depend on a very sound foundation or framework of dramatic story structure. So that's why I kind of pound that over and over and over again. You just can't... Uh, you, you can't... Uh, have enough solid structure in. As they say uh, in, in Hollywood, uh, we can get people to write dialogue. What we have a lot harder time is for people who can put together 
uh, a solid dramatic structure, which is m- maybe why, too, that uh, television may have an edge because you may be working with six or a half a dozen or, you know, six or a half a dozen or a dozen writers <laughs> on a right. television program. So that's kind of cheating. And I've often wondered why they don't do that in Hollywood. They they seem to, but they do it in a little different way. Uh, they buy your script and then ship it to somebody else to rewrite. And it seems to be done on a one-by-one person um, rather than in a group, which I, I think could be of, of use to Hollywood. But uh, there are certainly a lot of films out there, and I think the acting and the... And the uh, Technical capabilities of film have just never been better. We are definitely in a a golden age of all of that. And when you talk about uh, television or the uh, the OTT, the over the top, the streaming, uh, uh, Hulu, um, I just saw uh, somewhere where uh, um, was it the I don't know if it was the SAG Awards uh, or maybe the Golden Globes, uh, probably the SAG Awards, um, that uh, Netflix was one of the highest awarded um, uh, companies out there. Wow. Hey, uh, go ahead. I, I, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, that, that, that's fine. I just wanted to kind of throw that in. So it is it is changing, and we're receiving information in, in a lot of different ways. And as the screen Screens get sharper, even on uh, cell phones and iPhones and things like that. It's just easier to take that story with you. So it's really a wonderful, it, it wonderful is amazing. thing. Um, we have a caller, actually, in the area code, maybe one that you're familiar with. So I'm going to bring the caller on. I haven't screened this call. I don't know who it is. I normally do not do this, uh, but I'm going to risk it. So we'll see what the caller has to say. We only have a few <laughs> minutes left. Caller, are you there? Hey, Rex, it's me, Steve Kastner, calling uh, a friend and a fan of yours. And I took a screenwriting course um, more than a decade ago, and I was introduced to a, a rule called the 17-minute rule. And I just wondered if your guest subscribes to that rule and supports the idea that at 17 minutes and almost he showed us film after film and said watch what happens at 17 minutes there will be a turnaround and that's the key to writing a successful screenplay you must have this turnaround moment what do you think yeah i'm I'm not surprised i haven't really heard about it per se one of one of the reasons that occurs though often in screenplays and in films is simply to not bore your audience uh and uh, today that's probably even more important maybe it should be a 15 minute <laughs> rule uh today um most of these things were were developed out of out of a need to uh maintain and sustain the entertainment value and some people think entertainment's a dirty word. It simply means to hold one's attention. And if you can't hold their attention, then you'll lose them. Uh, and that's true for a comedy or a drama or or a political story that you're trying to get out there. Um, there's a, a man by the name of uh, Paul uh, Gelino, who I saw speak uh, several years ago in Vegas, and he breaks screenwriting up into sequences, which actually makes sense too. Uh, and a sequence was essentially 
uh, the time it took to run uh, a, a one reeler back in the day, which was mm. also about 15, maybe 17 minutes long. Um, mm. So, and that's that's kind of an interesting thing that we still sort of take on here. Now we play a lot more with with uh, time changes and parallel stories and parallel times and all of that. But the basic is to be able to maintain audience interest. And hopefully you can do that as a writer in your script um, and not have to rely on uh, car crashes or spaceships or any anything like that. Uh, the drama needs to be external so it can be uh, filmed, but the most poignant drama is the one that also has something going on inside. Um, we're almost out of time, and I, Steve, I thank you for calling in and asking the question. I hope, I hope, I hope that that helped, and I appreciate you being a fan. You're a great guy, and thank you very much. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. All Bye-bye. right. And, and uh, what I was going to say, oh, thank he, he left, but thank you so much. Um, and and one of my favorite writer directors is is also a, a friend of Rex X movie. is Billy Ray. And Billy Ray, uh, recent movie, Secret in Their Eyes, uh, but he's done another that's become a favorite of mine, which is called Breach. And one of the things that I think Billy does very, very successfully is is to create edge-of-the-seat tension without any of the conventions you just mentioned. No car crashes, no fight scenes, nothing. You know, it can, it's, it's by how he chooses to focus on his characters as a director, but also how he's written it. And and I and I literally I sit on the edge of my seat and watch his movies, and go wow he he just has this incredible way of creating tension um, and and yet it's not because it's an action tent you know kind of movie so um, yeah, I, guess I that's think my shout out to Billy huh? yeah I think somebody said there's there's a whole world of conflict in a single drop of water oh god you know it, so it doesn't have to be. Uh, huge at all to have something of uh, emotional consequence. Uh, very aptly put, James. We we are out of time, and, and I, uh, let me give you one minute to, if if you want to close, uh, and then we're absolutely got to go. Um, just just a hard break. My time will be up. So, um, remaining thought. Um. Well, what I usually say to my uh, my students is uh, whatever path you take and however you've chosen to take it, uh, the advice to writers has always been two things. It's been write what you know and write the truth. And it's the advice given to us by all the great masters of the craft and art of writing. And that sounds real simple, but what does that mean? You know, write the truth, what does that mean? Uh, Dostoevsky once suggested that the greatest challenge for a writer is to find the human and the human being. To find the human and the human being. And how do we do that? Well, Emerson said, look in your heart and write. All the world lies within us. Record your own spontaneous thoughts and you will record that which people everywhere find true for them also. Trust thyself insist on thyself. So wow. that's what I would leave you with. Wow, very cool. And um, I want to say thank you. You've been fabulous. We'll have to do this again sometime if, if, you, if you're if you game. 
I really do appreciate you being here. Thanks so much, James Brecken. My pleasure. All right. So um, uh, we'll be talking soon, and thank you so much. Great. Thank you, Rex. Mr. James Breckenridge. And uh, go back, listen for his uh, his uh, contact information again. Uh, during the show, you're going to want to reach out and contact him. I want to thank him, and I want to thank you and the readers and listeners of Movie Beat. Uh, again, many more exciting guests coming up in the near future, so stay tuned and keep sharing uh, the website, rexsykes.com and uh, rexsykesmoviebeat.me uh, with all your friends and contacts. Also, you can follow us on Twitter at rexsykesmoviebt. That last word is abbreviated, and we're on Facebook as rexsykesmoviebeatfriends or the Filmmakers Network. And um, uh, Stephen put up... Uh, I, sorry, I can't do. I can't see it at the moment, but we'll come back to it. I've always have a Make your movies, complete your projects, and until we meet the next time, that is a wrap. <laughs>